Welcome to PhD with Women Only Hack the Future. My name is Beata Young and today's PhD Positivity Hack Delivers will be by Nora Dinuso. Topic, you don't need money to start your own agency of the future. Episode 90 starts here. Let me remind you, this is a grassroots community that focuses on women on IT an inclusive forum of women in technology, startups, and female leaders who are supported by men as well. And I bring heart to that hustle because empathy is my motto. And empathy is critical when you're building the agency of the future. Let me just tell you a couple of things that's been happening in the technology world of female leaders. Great news, everyone. Our previous PhD guest, Nina Segura, will host a three-day leadership breakthrough retreat on March the 1st to March the 3rd. Way to go, Nina. Congratulations to House of Tula's Neo Priyam Suna on winning the startup race. The startup race is a six-month-long competition and an award of 10,000 cash prize. Priyansu now will use the money to invest in online marketing and social media marketing campaigns. Way to go. And I hope you're watching us, Priyansu, because today's vision is going to be explored by Nora, who's expert in marketing. Speaking about expert in marketing, who is a better person to mention but Cindy Gallop, whose mantra is Build your own agency. She's the inspiration for today's topic. Cindy was our guest uh, on episode 81, Hacking the Future with Sex Tech Legend. That's Cindy, of course. And we wish Cindy a very happy birthday. All the best on your endeavors. Now, let's go back to today's episode. You don't need money to start the agency of the future. Women are at a distinct disadvantage in the advertising world, and Cindy Callop's mantra, build your own agency, was an inspiration for our guest, Nora Inuso, who has spent the first 15 years of her career working for independent advertising agencies, pitching hundreds of brands from startups to Fortune 500. She has helped many big companies get bigger, but her passion for helping the small business community inspired her to start Feature, a brand strategy and growth consultancy for small businesses, helping founders optimize their potential. Whether you share the same passion for advertising or you're a founder of a small business, or know someone who's just starting with their entrepreneurial journey, this episode is for you. Nora, let's start with a simple question. Where in the world are you? <laughs> it's always a good question. Thanks, Beata, for having me. I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Pittsburgh, and it's very, very snowy. You were showing us just a minute ago how uh, covered in snow Pittsburgh is. Um, and Nora, we met during Cindy's um, live stream. And you chipped in. And you were really big fans of, like me, 
uh, of Cindy. So tell us, when was the micro moment for you to decide to go for the agency of the future? <laughs> yes, of course, Cindy is such an inspiration to so many women in advertising um, that are still in the field and, and that have left it since. And I would say I'm still very... And men as well. I'm and sorry, men. I have to interrupt you. Yes. Absolutely. She's, uh, <laughs> you know, forever and ever business uh, inspiration. Yes, she sure is. And, um, and you know, I, I would still say while I'm not working in an agency any longer, I'm still very much adjacent to the agency world. I consult with many agencies um, that I would classify as small businesses and how, I mean, everyone has a different definition, but how I would classify a small business is under 25 million in annual revenue. So that's the size that I'm focusing on. So whether you want to grow from a million to two million, two to five, five to 10, 10 to 20. That's really the zone where I think I can help people. And sort of the thesis for Pitcher was that, um, you know, really there aren't, there's a gap, there's a market gap between advertising agencies that tend to help businesses that are north of 50 million in revenue. And then the freelance community that you can find on Upwork and Fiverr and all of those great platforms. Um, but that, you know, really there's, it's a little de decentralized. So when small businesses are looking for resources, they often go to agencies first and agencies will say, I'm sorry, but you're too small. We can't help you. You know, our minimum size of a contract might be $250,000, $500,000, a million dollars. And small businesses that maybe haven't crossed through, you know, series A, B, C yet, or even if they have, they still might be too small. And so I feel like there's a service gap there where there aren't a lot of people that have coalesced in the same kind of organized way that advertising agencies have as an industry to service small business. Um, and it's a huge opportunity because there are 32 and a half small, million small businesses just in the United States alone. Um, and I know far more when you think about it globally. So um, it always kind of was a head scratcher to me when I was working for agencies like, huh, we're thousands of agencies competing for, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20,000 businesses. So we're always like up against each other. And, you know, it's the Fortune 500 and other enterprise size companies. But what about the 32 million? So that's what I'm focusing on now. So, Laura, that sounds like uh, Netflix uh, Working Moms series. Um, that's how one of the characters started just by pitching to agencies and building her own agency. Uh, so what's the reason solely the fact that you wanted to uh, differentiate yourself and find that niche? Or was there some ideas you had that were unique to all that you've seen around you? Well, I think, you know, the pandemic was took was impacted at all of us, like, let's be honest, but particularly for me as a mom, um, as a, as a woman, as someone living in a community that has a lot of small business here as do, as does every community. Right. But, um, particularly my children, you know, their art studio closed during the pandemic, their dance studio, um, their favorite boutique. And these were all woman owned businesses, mom owned businesses. And it was just really sad to be honest. And I felt in that moment, like, Hmm, while I'm watching my favorite small businesses locally close, I'm also pitching very large businesses in my agency job. Um, and it was great that I had gotten my agency to the point that they were in those rooms at those tables. So like, it's no, it's no slight at big business. And I'm a, I'm pro business generally, like I'm, I'm for big business and I'm for small business. I think the problem is when 
things get out of whack and big business is getting all the investment or all the attention and small business is not, it's out of balance. And so I think that's something that is, uh, is a passion point of mine. Um, I was personally affected by it, like I said, during the pandemic, and I wanted to see if I could use my skills in growth and business development strategy and marketing to help small businesses survive and thrive post pandemic, as opposed to just maybe helping big business get bigger. So it was personal for me. Mm, very personal. So you started your business in 2020? Uh, uh, 2021, actually, October 2021. But October 2020, I had done a boot camp through Chatham University's Center for Women's Entrepreneurship, which is funded by the U.S. Small Business Administration. So it was a fantastic opportunity to uh, kind of pitch, <laughs> to pitch pitcher, if you will, and um, to kind of test out an idea that I had. Um, the, the boot camp I did is called Concept to Launch, and it's for pre-revenue startups. So you're basically just pressure testing your idea, figuring out the block and tackle of how do I, you know, apply for an LLC? How do I get my EIN number? All of those things that are sort of the baby steps you need to take at the beginning when you're an entrepreneur. And if you've never built your own business, you probably don't know how to do those things. I certainly didn't. So it was extremely valuable. And um, it was the first time they had hosted a cohort that was during the pandemic. Um, it was all virtual, it previously had met in person. Um, and so it was only $45. <laughs> and so I said to myself, you know what, even if I never become an entrepreneur, I'll spend $45 in coffee over the next six weeks. So uh, I might as well, why not? Um, and then it took me about another year after that to actually bring it to fruition um, through a series of events. But yeah, I, I studied up on how to do it in 2020. And then I took the leap in 2021. And uh, what a coffee it was. It was brewing. The idea was brewing and eventually we had Peter. When that name come into place, why Peter? Why did you call it this way? That's a great question. Well, um, I don't know about in Malta, but in the United States, um, sort of the most quintessential small business uh, that a child might start up besides like, uh, I guess in the, in the past we had the paper route, but you think of the lemonade stand, right? So uh, any kid could get a box uh, or a table and make a pitcher of lemonade and go out in their driveway and start to learn how to sell and to pitch themselves. Um, so that was part of it. But also I have this sort of analogy, which is that uh, founders, who that's who I'm working with right now, um, I'm working with founder-led organizations. So founders are great at making lemonade from lemons that they see in their industries. Like my coach, Christy Uffelman, always talks about, um, you know, entrepreneurs go into business to fix something that drives them nuts. So, you know, you have those lemons in whatever your industry is, and you have an idea to fix that. And so you make your lemonade, right, out of those lemons. But now you have your lemonade in a bucket, <laughs> and you have to get it into the glasses of the masses. How do you do that? You can't pour from a bucket into a glass. You need an elegant solution in between. You need a pitcher, a vessel to get you your idea into the glasses of the masses. So that that's why pitcher. Mm, beautiful, a uh, great name, and definitely you pitched it well to me. And <laughs> Nora, speaking about small businesses, so you mentioned that you help small businesses. Is there, um, as you mentioned, there is a certain uh, gap uh, in terms of um, servicing small businesses. Uh, and you also are very active in Pittsburgh. Can you tell us about the, your local scene? Sure. Um, funny enough, most of my clients are not in Pittsburgh, at least right now. Um, I have clients 
all over the United States, also the UK and Canada. So I guess I would say I'm doing global business at this point, but um, I do love to support the local Pittsburgh community. There is an incredible business and entrepreneurial community right here in my backyard. So I try to stay as involved as possible. Um, I'm a member of the Pittsburgh Advertising Federation, the American Marketing Association, the Pittsburgh Tech Council, the Center for Women's Entrepreneurship, like I mentioned. So yeah, I, I try to stay involved and um, and help as much as I can. But also, it fun, just funny enough um, that I really don't have any Pittsburgh-based clients at the moment. Maybe that will change. But um, yeah, I, I have clients in LA, clients in Minneapolis, New York. So a little bit, little bit all over. Um, I think that's what's so great now about running your own business. And I know, you know, the title of uh, this chat was provocative, like you don't need money. I wouldn't say you need none money, but you don't really need that much. Like if you're running a service-based business, there's so much good software out there now that's very accessible, very affordable. As you can see, I'm working from my home. I'm in my home office right now. So, you know, really um, you can keep your operating expenses quite low and um, and run a business right from your home. And you can be working with people all over the country and all over the world quite easily. That sounds so easy. However, well, bootstrapping, <laughs> we can all do, right? We, we know how to save and how to make sure that the logistics of our households are taken care of and children have their lunches paid for and so on and so forth. However, finding that first client may not be so easy probably for you because you've been working and you've been pitching to um, startups or businesses, um, it's a bit easier. What would be your number one advice if somebody is looking for the first client in the entrepreneurial world? Mm, that's a great question. Um, definitely tap into your network. That's the number one thing. I think because a lot of times before obviously it would make sense before you start something entrepreneurial, you're probably employed full time. Um, and if you are, then you may have to be a little bit careful in terms of, you know, sharing publicly what you're doing, what you're thinking about doing. I know a lot of people are sort of side hustling or freelancing at this point. And I think, I don't know, I think organizations should become more comfortable with that concept, frankly, but um, that's a whole long topic we could get into. But I think the, the thing to really do is let your network know, privately that you're interested to go off on your own, to consult, to uh, work in more of a freelance capacity. And people that know you, trust you already, that you've worked with in the past, that you've done good work for, that could vouch for you, ask them, hey, can I do a project for you? Is there anything, whatever you want to go off and do on your own? Like for me, it's, it's pitching, it's branch strategy, it's business development. So you know, the first types of few types of projects I did with my earliest clients were, you know, designing a pitch deck or you know, developing a marketing strategy, a content strategy, things that were easy for me to do, I could turn around quickly, um, help get them some quick results. So think about what you what you could offer to people it, relatively quickly and easily if you're still full time employed. And then also just like let your network quietly know that you're thinking about going off on your own and, and see what you can wrestle up. Then when you do go public with the fact that you've gone off on your own, um, people will come out of the woodwork to support you. I know my network really did for me, which was really amazing. Fantastic. Uh, we have a couple of comments. I, Esmeralda, hello, Beata and Nora. Excited for tonight's PhD. Thank you. I, uh, Melanie Klim, I hadn't thought about entrepreneurs being motivated to pick something that drives them nuts. That's a really great insight. So, uh, 
you were one of the examples of trying to fix something up. Um, now, in terms of fixing, did you manage to fix things or you feel there's so much work to do? <laughs> well, it's always a work in progress. But um, I think like I started to mention, the thing that drove me nuts about working in an agency was that we couldn't support new up and coming small businesses, innovative businesses. And most of the innovation truly is happening in small business. It's not happening at the big companies because, you know, a big machine is hard to get moving. It's hard to change. Um, and there's a, there's legal concerns. There's R&D concerns. Like how many times we were working on innovation projects, uh, R&D at very large companies. And they said, oh, that creative idea, that can't be done. That's impossible. That can't be done. And it, a lot of times it can, but it's just, it's the inertia, you know, factor. So I think so much of, in every industry, what where innovation is happening is in small business. And so that's what I was really excited to work on. And when people would approach us and say, hey, can you help us, you know, launch my robotic farming, you know, startup? I like, of course I wanted to work on that. I wanted to work on robot lettuce. And, you know, it was basically told they're too small. We just can't help. And so that just drove me nuts. Like, I just really wanted to be able to help small, innovative companies. Um, yeah, so... I'm still wor I'm still yeah. working on it. I think uh, I have a good idea to try to bridge that gap again between what agencies can do or want to do and what freelancers independently individually can do and, and maybe that's creating some sort of like a, a network um, in order to help small businesses tap into those great freelance resources that are like highly vetted and I think a lot of times you can spin your wheels like trying out freelancers, researching them, learning about them, giving them a test project. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But if you go to a source like an agency where they could say, these creatives, these artists are, are very well vetted. Um, this developer is excellent. You know, uh, this strategist is excellent. This copywriter is excellent. Some of these resources that small businesses need to tap into, um, I think a lot of times it's just for small business owners, you spin your wheels trying to figure out who's good at what. Um, so maybe there's something that we can do to bridge that gap. And, and anyone who wants to get involved in that, come, come along with me. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Screw it. Absolutely. Uh, now, we are talking about building the agency of the future. It does not only apply for uh, marketing, as we know, it applies for any business, anything you would like to do, anything you dream of doing, um, because the frustration of not being able to move with your creative idea is uh, real, especially for many females who have to deal with toxic assumptions, with um, you know, very narrow-minded um, uh, humans who do not see the potential. Now, uh, Nora, you mentioned a couple of organizations you are involved. How critical belonging or being part of an organization is for somebody who is starting business and can you really afford setting some money aside to be part of something if it means you can't have a coffee yes absolutely i think you know uh when you're starting a business and depending how much capital you have or don't have set aside would probably dictate how much you're willing to invest in yourself how quickly. Um, but if you have a little bit, even if you don't have a lot, um, a lot of these organizations are not that expensive to join. Most of the ones I mentioned to you are a couple hundred dollars a year. You know, it's not massive. I know there's been a lot of discussion lately about like, 
what chief costs and what some other organizations cost. But, you know, most of these local offshoots of a national organization, that chapter, it may only be $100, $200 a year. And so I think if you're, you should be willing to invest in yourself as a business owner, um, investing to go see clients in person, that might mean investing in the, tr- the cost of travel, um, attending events, being a part of organizations. So I definitely factor that into my budget, like a monthly um, operating expenses budget or OPEX as my um, CFO <laughs> likes to call it. Um, that was a new term to me. I was like, I've never had to deal with OPEX. Um, you know, that was like my finance team's thing to deal with at the agency. But um, yeah, you learn how to think about your dollars as investing in yourself, whether that's training, whether that's um, networking. And there's so much networking you can do for free, though, honestly, like LinkedIn is, a, I know this is gonna be streaming live on LinkedIn today. This is a fantastic place to network. And I just posted something today about one of my clients yesterday was so excited because he posted something about his work. Uh, the work that he posted about was for a client, that client shared it and said, you really should hire this guy. He look at this work he did for me. It's so fantastic. Within 24 hours, he was hired by somebody new to do their project. Um, and so that's the power of social, really. He didn't spend any money on that. All he did was say, this is work I've done that I'm proud of. That client agreed and was like, check this out. This is who did my stuff. And then immediately, you know, he got a new contract off of that. So very proud of him. Go James. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there's a great ROI to be had in social and, and LinkedIn sort of an untapped resource for that. Mm, absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, uh, our cat is going to destroy uh, the scenes behind me. Uh, you can probably <laughs> keep going nuts. Now, um, Nora, uh, speaking of you uh, and bootstrapping, I guess as an agency, you could also offer some of these organizations uh, some barter agreements, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very true. And I do barter with some of my clients and some of my partners. So that's a great strategy. You know, um, <laughs> the best one I do is with my attorney, um, my attorney, Smart Counsel. It's a woman led organization. But when we first started talking, they really needed marketing support. And I said, okay, well, what do you charge per hour? And then we figured out a good ratio. It's not an equivalent ratio because, you know, of course, attorneys are, are charging are quite a lot per hour. Um, but as a small business owner, I needed contracts. I needed non-disclosure agreements. I needed master services agreements. Like I needed to have all my stuff buttoned up because I'm dealing, you know, not with enormous businesses anymore, but you still have to like, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, if you will. So that was a great trade arrangement I've done. Um, I've also done the same. I'm doing one right now, actually, with um, a company called Mercury Mosaics in Minneapolis, and they make handmade tile. So they, um, uh, Mercedes Austin, who's their founder, they've been in business for over 20 years. Incredible woman-owned business, small business. Um, check it out, mercurymosaics.com. But, uh, you know, with, I had her tile actually in my last home in my shower, uh, we had done a project together and then I was so sad to leave it when I moved to this house. I don't have my, uh, my tiles anymore. And she started doing framed artwork, like framed mosaic artwork. And I said, Mercedes, I'm probably going to be moving in another like two or three years here. Next time I want to take your tiles with me. And she said, well, I can just make you an art piece. So she's making me an art piece and I'm helping her with some marketing and, and business strategy. So there you go. Uh, you're absolutely right, Beata. There's a lot of creative ways to get started working with clients and get some, you know, I don't know, get some projects under your belt without actually having to exchange dollars if that's what you want to do. 
Absolutely. Um, now, uh, Nora, you've been in business uh, since 2021. Uh, are you planning to add some hires or are you already hiring some people? <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I talk about it as being in like a little bit of like a treading water moment where I know I want to scale my business. Um, I'm just trying to think about how to do it in the best way, because last year I did bring on a couple of 1099 hires, part-time contractors also brought on a W2 hire for a bit of time. And it was really helpful when I was trying to get the business up and running and getting, bringing more clients on. Um, but I don't know that I did it in exactly the right way or at the right time. And there were some like struggles with that, essentially like covering all of my employees costs um, and their salaries, but maybe not taking my own. And you hear founders say all the time, oh, I didn't take a paycheck for the first three years. But when you have children to take care of, as I do, you know, you can't likely unless you have some wealth set aside or built up from from some past experience or just life um, that you may not have a three-year fund to tap into I didn't I had a one-year fund to tap into so that kind of made me rethink the structure of the business and when and how to scale it and so it kind of just took a breather over the summer and now I'm a solo operator but I do bring in subcontractors like as projects require there's one I'm talking to this week that's in the financial services industry and it's not really my background so I'm thinking about bringing in collaborators for that project for instance so yeah I'm very open to collaboration partnerships I get brought in by some of my friends as a partner on their business frequently too which is another thing you can do as a freelancer or an entrepreneur that you can't necessarily do when you're working full time for someone. So um, yeah, there's a lot of options for scaling that I'm exploring. I do want to because I think it's a it's a bigger idea than just me. And I can probably only I've tried to figure out the math, but I think I can only help 100 small businesses a year by myself as a solo. That's my goal. Um, I did 30 last year while I was getting the whole business up and running. So now that it's running, I think I could do 100. But Getting beyond that would be hard. And when you think about like what kind of dent you're trying to make on the universe <laughs> or the world, um, you know, 100 out of 32 million is kind of a small dent. So I would like to make a bigger dent, I guess. Well, I guess uh, it's fun to say, pick me, pick me, as the donkey from, <laughs> from the great fairy, set, uh, fairy tale said. Um, but uh, I think it's also time to say um, another great Rotation by Cindy Gallup. Small steps lead to big accomplishments. Nora, we keep our fingers crossed. Coming back to the business, um, you mentioned uh, we were chatting beforehand, uh, before Christmas actually, but I, I know that you were very passionate about, about small businesses and how they were hit by the pandemic. Tell us uh, how you're helping these businesses. What, apart from uh, advising on their social media strategy, what do you do to help? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so the first thing that I tend to do with business, small businesses, um, because I'm positioned as a growth strategist. So what Pitcher wants to do as, as an organization or me as the leader of it is to basically help founders understand why they're no longer growing or not growing at the pace that they want to be. So pretty much all of my clients share that in common. They know they're not growing um, at the speed or at the rate that they would like to, or they've suffered some kind of a loss. Like the pandemic, you know, hit a lot of industries very hard. So some people were digging out of a million dollar hole, half a million dollar hole, maybe more. 
Um, and so a lot of most times founders know they're not growing. They know that growth is a problem, but they can't really pinpoint why. And it's sort of this notion of not being able to see the forest through the trees. You know, when you're in it, when you're in your business, it's very hard to get take an outside look. And um, it's interesting because there's so many coaches on LinkedIn. And so, you know, I've started to like be in the world of co coaches and consultants and you start to realize every coach has a coach, you know, like no one can really get that perspective on their own business, including myself. Like I don't have a good perspective on my own business and what I could or should do or couldn't do or shouldn't do. So I bring in coaches to my business all the time. So I, I try to let people know that because I'm like, look, there's no shame in you asking for help with this. There's absolutely no shame in you saying, you know what, I'm a robotics expert. And I, while I was getting my PhD in robots, did not get a MBA in marketing. I just didn't, you know, and why would you? Um, so it's fine to bring in a consultant. It's fine to bring in somebody from outside to give you fresh perspective. So that's really where I start is just to do an audit, to do a discovery um, and sort of a diagnostic, I would call it on why a company is not growing. And then we talk about what would what work streams would help them overcome those growth challenges. And the ones that I can address personally, um, I hope to address more if I can bring in some other consultants into my organization. But I, me, myself, Nora, can do brand, business, content, and comm strategy. So those are the four things I really touch. If it's getting into deep technical SEO, if it's getting into um, supply chain or things like that, that are operations that sit outside of marketing, I particularly can't help somebody address those things. But um, I would love if Pitcher eventually could just help with all aspects of small business growth and not just the marketing aspects. That's fantastic. Whoever is watching us or listening to us can reach out to Nora with advice or partnering with her. Now, it sounds almost like you're a startup uh, accelerator or incubator. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I am. I mean, <laughs> I've never been in one, so I, I can't say that I know what that's like. Maybe I should, right? Um, kind of don't know what you don't know, I think, is, is true of, of entrepreneurship in general. You, you learn as you go and as you grow. Um, I, I, but you know, it's funny, I was having a conversation with my friend, Melissa Untel Smith yesterday. She, um, runs, a an organization called catalytic icon, and it's sort of a live show similar to yours, um, where women get together, female entrepreneurs and talk about their business growth challenges. And she gave me a, an interesting thought, which was like, could, could I, or pitcher become sort of the center of gravity for a, this ecosystem whereby, small businesses that need to grow, get connected to people that can help them grow, to providers that can help them grow. So that's maybe a, a t technology solution. I'm not um, personally prepared to implement. Uh, I don't code. I'm a, I'm a no code individual. But um, yeah, just that notion of like, in the way that there's this network of agencies that can service all kinds of big businesses, is there something that's not an agency, but something else that could service small businesses that can't be serviced by agencies. I think I'd love to crack that nut, I guess. That's uh, another ponder for Nora and our lovely listeners or viewers. If you have questions for Nora, suggestions, or to make a comment, it's your turn now. We are past half an hour of discussion. Another half is going to be packed with lots of tips and tips from Nora and Ponders as well. So, Nora, coming back to business creation or incubation or acceleration, um, we have actually a question from 
I, Esmeralda. I'm planning to put up a business. What should be the first thing I should consider of, aside from the financial aspect? That's a great question. I mean, yes, I know we've, <laughs> we've talked about you don't need a lot of money to get started, but you do need to be thinking about how will I make money, of course. But outside of that, I really think you should think about how you want to be positioned and how you want to be known and branded. Of course, you're talking to a pitcher, you're talking to somebody who thinks about branding quite a lot, um, but also understands the power of it, right? So um, something as simple as naming your business, what are you going to call it? And this is no chop at my friends who have named their business after themselves, their last name, their child, you know, that's definitely one strategy. But you know, what do you want to communicate with the name of your business? Is it a name that's easy for people to pronounce, easy to spell? Um, is it something that, you know, could be repeated? So uh, when you're not in the room and someone's talking about your business, like people could say, oh yeah, Nora, she runs this thing called Pitcher. It's easy for people to remember. It's one word that was by design. That was very intentional on my part. Um, you know, it's hard to find one word companies <laughs> that you can, you know, create a business around. But um, I challenge you, if you're thinking about starting a company, try it, think about one, what one singular word would you call it? Um, or maybe two, maybe three. If you're getting above three words, you're probably getting into the territory where people are not going to be able to remember it or repeat it. So that can be a challenge. So think about that because, you know, you, it's hard to go back and fix it later. Like if you don't nail it, at the beginning, it's much harder to go back and be like, actually, I decided to change my name to this, you know, and then it's like, you have to start all over. So if you're going to invest time and money outside of just like figuring out the operations aspect of your business and the financial aspect, and I mean, you have to have the idea, right? You have to have a good idea, but I'm assuming that you do. Um, I, so, you know, think then about, um, what are you going to call this thing and how are you going to talk about it? And what's the story behind it? That's really important. And speaking of storytelling, we gonna have another founder from Australia, and she's gonna talk about storytelling for startups. Tune in, I already know what we had uh, as a discussion because I recorded it yesterday. Anyway, <laughs> we have another two questions. Melanie Kling, I think it's great to focus on your strengths and be excellent there rather than trying to do it all. Do you recommend partners and collaborators to provide those other services? Yes, that's a great question, Mel. Um, Mel and I go, are very good friends. We go way back. We were just <laughs> texting last night about our very first job was at this um, small local business called The Elegant Farmer, but somehow they never put us on the same shift. I don't think they wanted us talking during work. So I always had Saturday and she always had Sunday. <laughs> Um, but, uh, this is a great question. So yes, um, my friend, lovely Mordellis, another one of my coaches talks about your zones of genius. And I know she didn't coin that term. It was probably some, some other thought leader coined it, but she talks about it with me a lot. And it's true that you cannot be a genius at everything. So figure out what are your zones of genius? Like for me, it's strategy, brand strategy. Um, it's marketing and it's, you know, how to talk about brands and how to help brands grow business development. Okay, great. I'm a, a genius at three things. Guess what I'm not a genius at finance, HR, operations, you know, all kinds of other things, technology, IT. Oh my gosh. Like I was trying to do a cybersecurity um, insurance application and was so stumped. So yeah, recognize what your zones of genius are. You could do a little exercise, like write them down. Like one of my favorite exercises to do, and I've actually turned it into a slide in my pitch deck is 
what I do on one side and then on the other side, piece of paper, divide in half, what I do, what I don't do. And like, write down for yourself, like truly, what do you not like to do? Or what are you bad at? Because so many times when we're pitching our capabilities in, you know, to investors or agencies, to clients, it's like, we can do everything. We can do everything for everyone. There's nothing we can't do because you could, you can bring in partners, right? But people kind of call BS on that. Like, really, you can do everything well for everyone. Like, I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and people can sniff it out. Like, I think there's power in specialization versus generalization. So figure out what your specialty is and what those zones of geniuses are. And then bring in other people to work on those things that you don't know how to do, don't want to do, don't have time to do. Because you'll find if you're a solopreneur, like I am right now, you will not have time to do everything, even if you were a genius at it. So I outsourced, the very first thing I outsourced was my um, bookkeeping and like CFO responsibilities, because I am just not a financial brain. I can come up with a really great like budget for, you know, working on someone else's business, but trying to do it for myself and do my own books is just something I, I'm not strong at. So yeah, figure out what you're strong at and then bring in the partners for things that you aren't and you'll have fun collaborating. Absolutely. I guess uh, then Amal will have a question unanswered because she's asking, Nora, how did you figure out financial management? You just found a good <laughs> financial advisor. Is that correct answer? Yeah, I mean, basically, not to make, not to dumb it down, but yeah, um, having a CFO brain on your business. Um, my CFO Laura Kelly from Tula Books is fantastic, and then her bookkeeping team, Janine, is my bookkeeper. So we're in touch regularly about invoices and about cash flow and my P and L and all of that stuff. And so for me, it was great to be able to outsource that. It's part of my opex. It's actually like half of my opex is my financial management. And it's worth every penny because it's just not something I'm good at. And you think about the hours you would spend toiling away at something you're not strong at, you know, like what does, I mean, I know we're trying to move to value-based pricing and not rate-based hourly based pricing, like exchanging time for dollars, but in a time for dollars exchange, like the five hours it took you to balance your book, like what could you have charged a client for those five hours of your time to work on something you're actually good at? And so if you can make more money doing what you're good at, then the thing you're not good at and someone else can do the thing you're not good at for the same amount or less than you can do your thing you're genius at for, then that's a good ROI in my opinion. So yes, uh, the way I figured it out is hired somebody. <laughs> it's not me. Absolutely. Yes, and definitely it works as well because as, as further you go, there will be out of the box thinking required and your accountant is going to be irreplaceable rather than you going and worrying overnight uh, whether you did it wrong uh, or right and uh, maybe you should have uh, applied a different taxation anyway we've got uh, melanie clarification we've got jupiter keep it simple uh, love this point jupiter uh, stone is also saying this is true i'm not sure what he's referring to my first business no one could it and it could cost so much money reprinting and redesigning things. Thank you so much for live comments, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Aya at Bubo just commented as well. Zones of genius. Absolutely. <laughs> That's uh, all about Nora today. And I am only Nora because we mentioned a couple of viewers today. You're part of our discussion. We love it. I'm just hopping on, says Aya. Lovely to hear from you. Yes, that 
such a deep insight. Whatever it was, there is all the deep deepness of insights <laughs> today with Nora. Melanie, uh, Melis here again, trying to do it all is a great way to bring yourself out. I love this idea of zones of genius and the what I do and what I don't do list. Absolutely. Power, power in specialization versus of generalization. I'm sorry, my nation uh, today, spelling nation is not with it. My English is better today, as Robin Williams would say. Anyway, upwards and onwards, and we are heading towards the end of our show. 15 minutes, uh, more than 15, nearly 20 minutes left. Uh, Nora, speaking about your business and uh, maneuvering between looking after kids, you've got two, uh, and uh, one is only three, the other one is six, so, and your partner is also working from home. <laughs> is he partner in crime? Is he uh, supporting you? How is it working? Was it difficult route? He is definitely my partner in crime, life, business, everything. Um, Dave Denuso, my husband. So shout out Dave. Hi up there. He's upstairs. I'm downstairs right now. <laughs> he, works, he works for an agency as well. Um, and we worked for the same agency for many years. So uh, although we didn't meet there, uh, I actually brought him into the crazy world of advertising and he has me to blame or thank for that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so he's working for a different company right now, but he is, you know, talking to me about my business all the time, consulting with me on it. He's so helpful. Um, he's in, he's a creative and he's in the production world. So it's really funny because I'm sort of a glass half, half full, optimistic, even sometimes rose colored glasses sort of a person. And he's a little bit more, I want, I don't want to say pessimistic, but realist um, because he has to think through on productions. Like, you know, this thing could go sideways, any of, you know, 50 different ways and having to do all the contingency planning for how shoots can get messed up and how you need to course correct and adjust. So he is very much like not a doomsday or naysayer, but he's like a realist where he's like, really, is it going to work out as well as you think it is? Are you sure that's going to work? Are you sure we have enough money for that? You know, so he's a really good like check and balance for me. Um, and also just a great life partner. He's an awesome dad and he's helping so much with the kids. There's so many times where I'm on a call and I'm like, Hey, can you get them from the bus or can you make dinner for them? And so, yeah, we very much share the load um, around the house and just in work and when we were both working for an agency, the same one, we both had the same 80 hour week during the pandemic where we didn't have childcare. And we were like, okay, we're broken. Like we, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to make this better or do this. And we ended up getting a nanny as a result of that. Um, now my kids are back in school and daycare. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was hard. I mean, the first six months of the pandemic, we had no childcare because our daycare center was closed. Um, they couldn't meet the cleaning requirements that the state had. And so they just shut down. And so we basically talked to our bosses at the time and said, okay, I mean, you're going to have to decide who's more important today <laughs> to attend a meeting or a, or a pitch or whatever, because someone's got to watch our kids. Um, they were four and one at the time. You can't just leave a one-year-old unattended. So, <laughs> so I very much struggled with that. And I know um, Aya who uh, jumped in and said, hi, she coaches and works with um, clients that are parents also, and just helping them balance the whole just insanity that is being a working parent in the modern age, especially post COVID. So shout out Aya for the work that you're doing. Um, it's really important. Yeah. Mental health, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're someone's employee, so 
important to talk about and get help with, honestly. Like I had postpartum anxiety and I had to seek help and there is no shame in getting help. Mm, absolutely, no shame in getting help. No, but the critical point is here, I think the, the take uh, from you saying how supportive your partner is, find somebody who is going to support you. Find this, build this network of supporters. It's so much easier when you've got somebody who is ready to take control when things go away. So we've got uh, Melanie. Um, I would like to hear more about value-based pricing in contrast to rate-based pricing. Maybe a topic for another day. Can you touch upon it or is it too much? <laughs> I will touch upon it. No, I, it's a very important topic um, for entrepreneurs particularly, but just any business in general. Um, someone I really love to follow in this space is Tim Williams from Ignition Consulting. So check him out, Tim Williams, Ignition Consulting Group. Um, Tim really has done a lot of education for the advertising agency community in particular on moving from uh, time and rate-based pricing, like the billable hourly rate, um, the timesheets, all of that to value-based pricing, which is basically the way I like to break it down and define it is, you know, here's a great way that Tim explains it. When you go to buy a car, you probably have a brand in mind and say you want to go buy a Mercedes. Okay. So you walk into the Mercedes showroom and you say, I would like to buy the S-Class or whatever, you know, what's the new one, the like ESG, it's, it's the new, um, you know, e-vehicle, EV. Okay. I want to buy that one. What does it cost? $95,000. Okay, great. Like you don't ask then the dealership to give you the list of parts and what every single part cost and the car and then nickel and dime. Like, do I really need that engine? Do I really need that kind of leather? Like you don't get to pick nitpick, like all the components that go into your car. If you want the car, you buy the car period. So it's like, that's the way to really think about value-based pricing is what's the output that you're paying for or that you want to have or what's the outcome that you desire and pay for the value of that thing which that's on the business to set what that value is you know um <laughs> joking around with a friend one time because like there's something about like a, a scrunchie like a silk scrunchie that was a thousand dollars like i don't know if it's fendi or some sort of luxury company but it was like why can fendi charge a thousand dollars for a silk scrunchie and rite aid can charge 99 cents Okay, it's still a it's still a scrunchie, but you know, hey, if you um, love luxury goods and you're an ultra high net worth individual and you want to buy a thousand dollar sub scrunchie, more power to you, sister. Like that's fine. Like that thing exists for somebody, and that is value based pricing right there. The thousand dollar silk scrunchie is value based pricing. <laughs> from value to scrunchies now let's go to olga inspiring show Beata. thank you nora if you can coherently communicate your message as a startup do you actually need an agency Ooh, great question um Ooh. the answer is no you don't need an agency you absolutely do not um agencies are good for certain things but if you're a startup, um, it might not be the best use of your dollars right now. Agencies are great when you're scaling um, and when you've hit some sort of critical mass where you really need to do a big media campaign, you really need to get in front of a lot of people, you're trying to expand your production capacity, you're trying to scale your distribution. That's a really good time to get an agency involved in your business. When you're small and you're just getting started, you can absolutely tap into consultants like me or people in my network or people that are freelancing. Um, you know, what I would say is that 
like I mentioned about not being able to see the forest through the trees, it is hard to do your own brand strategy. If you don't have training and background as a strategist, it's hard to write your own marketing plan if you don't have specific training as a marketer or a media planner and buyer. So there's no problem with getting a consultant, but you absolutely do not need a whole agency. Absolutely. It's not a problem to issue any invoice. However, to file papers to tax authority, that could be an issue. Aya uh, is saying it is so wonderful to have a partner in a circle, community of supporters that get them to promote your journey and can hold you accountable and really cares about you. It is indeed, Aya, that's why we formed Women on IT to have the future. Um, now, Melanie, Aya, and at least in my experience, it's frustrating and unenjoyable to achieve a mediocre task rather than the satisfaction of excelling. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we are heading towards the end. Um, Olga says, appreciate your frank answer, Nora. I can see how it works with Kayla, but I think we are past the time when Mike Bloomberg defined the internet setup era as Get a PR and build a website. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's much more complicated. So more complicated than that, for sure. Um, but it also, there are, there are easy things that you can do, you know. Um, and social, social is a great uh, equalizer and democratizer of being able to get your message out. And I think, again, we're talking about business here and growing businesses and business to business. It depends what type of business you have. But for me, um, running a service based business, not a product based business, LinkedIn has been a game changer. And I strongly encourage um, connect with me if you're if you're watching this show, connect with me on LinkedIn, but also just follow people on LinkedIn. And then once you get up the courage, post on LinkedIn. Um, I know one thing I always talk about and we talked about a little bit, Beata, is just like the confidence to create. And I think a lot of founders lack self-confidence to create and will use all kinds of excuses not to, such as I'm too busy, um, I'm not good at that, no one cares what I have to say, everyone knows what I already do, which that last one in particular, um, newsflash, no one knows what you do. Like no one knows what I do, no one knows what you do, because people are concerned with themselves. Um, and if you've seen any of those stats, like what I call goldfish brain, like we have about the attention span of a goldfish right now, which is maybe 10 seconds at best. And that's because we're constantly scrolling, 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 right? Like we don't have the brain space or the capacity to dive in. And it's only getting worse probably with like things like chat GPT and AI, just like helping people create massive amounts of content at scale. It's like, wow, what do we look at? Um, I have a friend who calls it squirrel. It's like, Ooh, squirrel squirrel you know it's like you just get distracted by stuff so it's like because everyone's a squirrel and distracted and have a goldfish brain like nobody knows what you do so you have to tell them constantly and, and what you do i have to i have to say also not only nobody knows there is very few people that care what you do so you need to talk about it now say it loud aya says uh, i love equalizer and democratizer not sure if I said that right. Bravo, sister. Now, Nora, as we are heading towards the end of the show, what advice would you give to females to help with their startups? Number one advice. The number one thing I would tell women that want to start their own company is to spend time really honing your idea before you go out and really start to pitch it and talk about it is like, again, I said at the top of the hour, like um, 
my coach, Christy talks about entrepreneurs going into business to fix something that drives you nuts. Like what drives you nuts? Um, I know a lot of things drive women nuts, frankly, because of the world that we've come up in and work in and live in, right? And some of the systemic issues that we face. Um, so what in your career drove you nuts? Can you not stand? Are you unhappy about? Are you frustrated about? And then can you do something with your skills, with your zones of genius to address that, to fix that inequity, to fix that issue that you're seeing? And I saw Amal Masri on here. Um, she started her organization, Fix the Broken Rung, for that same reason. Like she was very frustrated to see in the corporate world that women of color were not advancing. There was a sort of broken rung on the ladder where they couldn't get from lower level, you know, um, executive or management uh, to the upper levels of management. And so she's working on that challenge. So, you know, think about what frustrates you, what drives you insane, the things that make you want to quit your job every day. And then think about how you can use your, your unique skills to solve or address that issue. That will be the thesis for your business if you haven't figured it out yet. Absolutely. And if they wanted to start their business and they need to read a book, which one would you advise them to start with? <laughs> well, I'm not a very good business book reader because I have little children and I also have squirrel brains. So, um, <laughs> so I'm working on my reading. Um, a book I read recently, uh, again, from Christy Uffelman, um, who I'm doing her coaching program, uh, Edge Leadership Solutions right now. Um, so the Edge program, she wrote a book called The Peer Revolution about peer-to-peer -peer mentoring that I think is really powerful. So check that out um, as a business book. And then just as a life book, um, I really love The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Yes, it was written in 1923, but it has a lot of really incredible life lessons and just like, you know, things to make you think about how you live and work in the world. And my very favorite quote from it, um, it's kind of, it's organized by a, a series of poems, essentially, and the poem that is pertains to work on work. Um, the quote is work is love made visible. So uh, one of the things that really drove me in my business creation was the concept of ikigai. It's a Japanese concept. And it's a you can imagine a four-leaf clover that's a Venn diagram. It's four intersecting components that make up your reason for being in the world. So as it relates to your job, um, one is what you like to do. The second is what you're good at. The third is what you can make money doing. And the fourth is what's good for the world. And for me, being in advertising, um, that fourth one was a little bit elusive. You know, you could argue that advertising may not be good for the world um, at times and depending how it's used. And so I thought for me, helping small businesses grow and thrive uh, is good for the world. I think, I think it's just as important that small businesses grow and thrive as it is for big businesses to grow and thrive and, and employ a lot of people. So um, for me, finding that purpose and that ikigai was super important. So yeah, to me, work is love made visible. And, uh, and I'm trying to do that through what I'm doing now, working with small businesses. That's very much in line with empathy economy. And uh, very much, I would say, not many men uh, focus on because uh, we become uh, somehow more on the social side of our entrepreneurship. However, as Cindy says, we need to make shitload of money to be taken seriously. Now, speaking of uh, great people, Eleanor Roosevelt once says, women are like tea bags. We don't know our true strength until we are in hot water. Tonight. How are you in hot water? How are you brewing, Laura? <laughs> well, I was always told uh, in business development, which can be stressful pitching, that I was always cool under pressure. So I try to carry that through for my clients. Um, 
and, and help them to stay calm and understand like, this is a long game or in a marathon, not a sprint, you know? So just staying calm, I think under pressure, especially pitching can be a pressure filled situation, but it doesn't have to be, you can make it fun. Um, one thing I like to tell my clients is make it a conversation, not a presentation that helps to kind of keep the mood light and to keep you not feeling like, you know, you're anxious, but just, just having a conversation with a, a new friend. Um, and one of my favorite quotes, speaking of hot water, is uh, from Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> Beautiful. Is that also your favorite life lesson quote? <laughs> yeah, I would say um, I think resiliency and grit is super important for entrepreneurs. And I've not been one for very long, but just in life in general, as a mom, um, <laughs> as a woman, as a man, as, as someone who's employed by someone else, someone's running your own business. Um, resiliency, grit, um, not giving up, like, really, the only way that you fail is to give up. Um, and that's something that, you know, we talk to our kids about a lot, because they're learning, and they're trying new things. And of course, they're failing, because like, that's life, you have to fail to learn, and you have to get comfortable with failing. Um, and so I think when things get tough, you just have to remember, keep going, like keep picking yourself back up, keep going, even when it feels hard. So yeah, keep going. Well, Nora, I hope uh, you're going to keep going because it is definitely a beautiful path to be on and working independently is great fun. And especially <laughs> having client base after such a short time already um, all around uh, the globe is something that I am super proud uh, to say that, you know, we need more women like you. You're a role model, as we can see in our comments. We've got Aya Esmeralda, Melanie Klim, Amal Masri, Jupiter Stone, Aya Esmo, Olga Martina. So it's been a pleasure. But before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, imagine the pandemic is over and you can invite any person in the world to have private breakfast anywhere in the world. Who would you invite and where would you go to? Well, obviously, I would come to Malta and have brunch with you. That's my answer. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Really? So sorry. <laughs> we'll invite Cindy, too. Well, if Cindy's available, she can join us. Oh, <laughs> yes. There you go. That's, that's much better because, you know, I can only deliver so many Cindy quotes. She needs to do it herself. Now... <laughs> everybody it's been a true true uh, fun to have nora today nora thank you so much and thank you uh nora's husband baby is that uh, correct thank I'm you Bayana. i hope i hope he's having fun too working away um now changes call for innovation and innovation leads to progress whatever the progress is for you I hope you're going to make it uh, wherever you're watching us, wherever you're listening us. This is the time. This is your opportunity to crack the future. As always, our positivity quote comes from positive thinking. And we have lots of positive thinking today from Nora. Look for something positive in each day, even if some days you have to look a little harder. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude, Maya Angelou says. Today is your day to have the future, have the positivity you want. And as I mentioned, next week, we are going to listen to pre-recorded message about stories for startups. Join us next week. Thank you, Nora.